This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. And welcome to another edition of The Spoiler Room. I will say, before we get started on our next 25th anniversary special, where we're covering Steven Seagal 1990 films, a PSA from The Spoiler Room first. Don't go see Vacation. Thank you. <laughs> now, on to today's show, which we have a great crew here in the room to talk some Seagal films from the 90s. Let's see if I can do this right. Okay, so first, we have here... Uh, Cole Meredith, who's taking us to the bank, the blood bank. Hi, Cole. Glad to be here, man. Good to see you. And then, with superior attitude, is Don. Hello, Don. Good evening. That's great. I, I, I feel your pain. And now we have superior frame of mind, Gabriel. Stuff Burrito Entertainment. How are you, Gabe? I'm talking like a typical cigar villain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm dope, but I'm happy to be here. And then, man, his magic is bigger than in all of us. <laughs> he is the one and only Scotty D. Hello, Scott. I'm fun, man. Yeah, I'm actually, man. I actually even have a themed beverage tonight because I know Ooh. that we are going to be covering uh, Mark for Death is one of the movies, which is a, uh, you know, the Steven Seagal versus Jamaican gangs thing. Yes. Uh, so uh, hold on a second. I actually, <laughs> yep, I have my six-pack of Red Stripe here. Oh, jeez. And now I don't know if this is the same, if this comes from the same uh, batch as the rows and rows of red stripe you saw him running past towards the end of Mark for Death, but knowing how long that this stuff keeps and what this stuff tastes like, probably, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably from that same warehouse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yes, tonight uh, it is our sixth our sixth 25th anniversary, I believe. Uh, yeah, sixth 25th anniversary special where we're covering films from 1990, and we picked two films from 1990. And it just so happens that, uh, you know, actors, we didn't have quite the pool of actors that we do nowadays. So uh, <laughs> uh, Seagal ended up coming up with two action films, and we're going to cover them in the order that they were released that year. So first one on the list tonight is Hard to Kill. Now, Hard to Kill is this action film starring not only Steven Seagal, but Kelly LeBrock and William Sandler. And we have Mason Storm, played by Seagal, (laughs) a go-it-alone cop who is gunned down at his home. The intruders kill his wife, and they think they've killed both Mason and his son, too. Mason is secretly taken to a hospital where he spends several years in a coma. His son, meanwhile, is growing up. Well, way to throw the spoiler right in the frickin' description, IMDb. His son, meanwhile, is growing up thinking his father is dead. When Mason wakes up, everyone is in danger. Himself, his son, his best friend, his nurse, and the guy on the street selling newspapers. But most of all, those who arranged his death are in trouble because he's out for blood at the blood bank. Uh, <laughs> so we've got marked. Uh, we've got hard to kill here, which is I don't know. The impression I got from this film initially, we had Die Hard come out, uh, and, and you know this this had a 
had just an inkling of of Die Hard as far as how tough his character was supposed to be. But I let's let's just get initial thoughts on Hard to Kill. Cole, uh, Hard to Kill. How do you feel about my movie? <laughs> Well, I, I'm actually a huge Seagal fan, um, just because you know I he and I see eye to eye environmentally. I think, uh, which is huge for me. So I could always watch these movies with my mom, even, and we would like enjoy them together because there was always so there's something else going on that I didn't get from Van Damme or uh, uh, Don the Dragon Wilson. I mean, uh, Seagal is from an era of action stars that were kind of on the horizon when we weren't interested in, in uh, our heroes being patriots anymore, which is what uh, Sylvester Stallone and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of made their careers off of. But sometime in the late 80s, it began to not be as cool, and you had this whole new wave of action people like Brandon Lee, like Van Damme, like Seagal. And I always like Seagal's films the best, uh, by far, you know, Brandon Lee being the, the exception, but, you know, Brandon only did a couple movies. Um, but I, you know, all of that being said, hard to kill. I, I never got into then, and I definitely don't get into now. Um, and I think all all of the problems that are in this film are remedied in the next one we're going to review. Sure. But it's just, and and I know, you know, they just basically chopped this movie to hell too. Um, you know, there's the the beginning and the ending scenes are basically just removed. I mean, you know, with nothing to replace them, which is the funeral of his partner and uh, an opening scene with him and his family. So if it feels, you know, really brutal and shallow, that's probably because it is. It, you know, it's, I would compare it to like Beverly Hills Cop 3 as an action movie. <laughs> the, the, the action is ridiculous. I mean, sure. I cannot even count how many times he goes, get down! And like, they die. <laughs> and I don't know, I love Seagal. I don't know if they were toying with him being a sex symbol or something because they give him two sex scenes, which to me is weird. Uh, you know, I just I want to see Seagal kicking ass. That's why they didn't give Eddie Murphy sex scenes for the. You want to see him kick ass and not grab ass. That's, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he, that was his signature move, wasn't it? He'd listen to the lady close, and then his hand would move down and grab a cheek. And I yeah. think he does that in like every single one of his movies. Because short, short story long, I I don't like Hard to Kill. I would sure. put it. I mean, it's this and mm -hmm. Half Past Dead in terms of. His three theatrical releases are really the only two I don't get into. Sure, sure. And uh, Don, what about you? Uh, hard to kill. How do you feel I, about hard to you kill? You know, I didn't mind it so much when it came out. <laughs> I, it, like Cole said, it's it's very much a a break away from that patriotic hero kind of, and it it brings us it 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 brings people more back to like the Charles Bronson kind of uh, not ordinary man kind of hero because uh, um, uh, Steven Seagal's character is, is certainly not ordinary, but it, it does kind of bring you back to that defending your family and your friends kind of hero, defending yeah. your neighborhood, defending your basic neighborhood community uh, rather than saving the world kind of hero. Mm -hmm. It's um, a, a so, bit smaller bit smaller scale. Yeah, so I, I there's definitely I can definitely see the appeal with that and, and the change. Um I, I think Hard to Kill was 
kind of made to draw the women in, and that's why they had the softer side. And I think, you know, seriously, I'm sorry. It's really stupid, but I, I that's why else would they have? And like Cole said, trying to make him a, a sex symbol kind of thing, that's to broaden the audience, and that he's not just. Yeah, I, I really think that that's what this movie was about: was to show a softer side, to try to experiment with bringing that female audience in. Yeah. Um, because as a god yeah i was still a teenager at the time this movie came out i had no idea that marked for death existed but i remember this one and <laughs> the only reason i can think of it was that either the whole steven seagal kelly lebrock romance in real life thing or the fact that it was promoted and it was a softer kind of more romance push on the romance movie regardless you know it's it's a steven seagal and it's a formulaic thing and you know it doesn't you know what you're getting when you get a steven seagal movie and and also let let's face it folks um uh <laughs> as far as sex symbols go seagal isn't exactly ripped <laughs> No, no, but no, they're, they're, not. he was not Beefcake Factor in this one, was he? Uh. No, no, he wasn't. And as a matter of fact, all I could think of, I know Aikido. I understand what Aikido is. It's using your opponent's momentum against them. Mm-hmm. But when he moves, it, it is fluid, but he also looks like he's got a stick shoved up. <laughs> <laughs> every film I, I, I mean you know it's, it's not attractive well, it, it's in every film though it's like I'm hurting pain now I'm going to kick your butt now I'm happy now I'm okay I'm like he has one mode for his ex- facial expressions <laughs> but uh, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from with that Don what about you there, uh, Mr. Gabriel, how are you on uh, Hard to Kill? Well, I mean, as a kid, I loved pretty much any movie with <laughs> shooting and punching and killing. It sure. took a lot for me to not like an action movie. Um, and this movie came out when I was nine, and my dad had rented it, you know, the glory days of the video store. He rented yes. it, and uh, I watched it with him. I always... I guess we had like an unwritten tradition. When the new Steven Seagal movie came out, we rented it and we watched it together. He became a big fan of Seagal. And because of that, I became a fan. I actually, it, this is how naive I was. As a kid, I thought Seagal was like the coolest action star out there. Little did I know that there were people like Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee out <laughs> there in foreign countries that were kicking ass while this guy just basically stands there and, you know, counterattacks. But anyway, um, I liked Hard to Kill mm-hmm. when I saw it, and I grew up watching it. You know, uh, we, we bought it on VHS. We bought every cigar movie on VHS. Yeah, me too, sure. man. Yeah, I mean, it, as soon as they came out on sale, bam, we went to go get them. Uh, but the funny thing is we kind of didn't need to, because Hard to Kill was one of those movies that was always on HBO. It was. And I would always watch it. I would always watch it on HBO. 
I mean, I, I, he did have kind of like this this way about him where, you know, it, it was kind of confident. Now it seems more arrogant uh, than it was back then. But back then, it's, I don't know, he, he, I guess I, I just kind of liked his, I guess, bravado or whatever, I don't know. But it, it's the ponytail. It just, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's all the ponytail. I remember liking the film because he was just so cool and calm, you know, that, that scene uh, in the liquor, the, the liquor store, you know, oh, yes. where he's, mm-hmm. you know, I still love that scene, even though it's like the worst acted scene <laughs> in history. Um, but he used to, he used to crack me up because he's like, oh shit, look at this, this tall white guy kicking uh, the shit out of cholos and, and, and little essays, you know, little wannabe <laughs> badasses and, um, so yeah, I like that kind of stuff. And you know, I, I, I always grew up thinking, oh my god, this is such a cool action movie. I watched it constantly on HBO and VHS. I thought that, you know, the okay, because at the time, you know, I was, I was little, so it's like, okay, sure. look at this guy, you know, kicking ass, having sex with all these hot women. I mean, damn, this guy, this guy's a, <laughs> this guy's a pro. So I really enjoyed it when I was younger, and you know. I went, I went a long time without watching this movie, and well, earlier this year it was like for five bucks on Blu-ray, uh, at some store or whatever. I bought it, and I watched it. This is kind of the reason why I uh, wanted to be on this um, this, <laughs> this podcast because. It's like the perfect timing. I, I go and buy this movie, and then you announce the podcast for this movie. So I, I got to do this. I got to do it. Um, I watch it, and I'm like, this movie is actually fucking boring. <laughs> it's really boring. I mean, the, all the serious action does not happen until an hour and, and five minutes in. Literally... Yeah. After an hour is when all the action happens. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, why did I like this movie in the first place? And then Kelly LeBrock, holy shit. No wonder why that woman can't, no wonder why she doesn't act anymore. She's probably not even allowed to be on a studio. <laughs> oh my god. I don't even know how these two fell in love and got married. She must have. That that left cheek must have been very inviting. Because, <laughs> oh God, I can't, I, I can't, I can't stand her acting. Um, mm. And it's funny too, because when I was younger, I I actually felt sympathy for the character. He lost his family. Well, you know, his wife was killed. Yeah. His son was taken from him. You know, and uh, I felt bad. The way the movie plays out, I don't give a shit to be honest. <laughs> I mean. If anything, him coming, him getting out of that coma, kind of brought, you know, kind of brought more danger to the kid, you know. Yeah. Selfish bastard! How dare he wake up? <laughs> um, but but the nostalgia and he still kind of likes the movie in a way. Uh, I I do like the action sequences that are in the film. Um. But I have a soft spot for any, you know, old school action sequence, you know, where you actually get to see people get shot and not have the camera tilt or shake all about, you know. So yeah. anytime I actually get to see actual squids being uh, oh, yeah. blown out, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. But I will say that even though I, I don't have 
the same feelings that I used to have for this movie. I will say that the absolute coolest moment in this film, um, at least, you know, you know how when you know, the big guy kills the bad guy, he always has something cool to say. Yeah. Well, in this case, I love the honesty of when he kills the guy that finally murdered his, that pulled the trigger on his life. He stabs him with a broken cue in the chest and says, that's for my life. Fuck you and die. Yeah. I mean, that is <laughs> awesome right there. That is your honesty. Like, you kill my life. Fuck you. That, that, I still, that's like the most memorable moment for the entire film. But yeah, used to be a great movie in my opinion, but now <laughs> I'm not as naive as I used to be. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you mentioned that uh, seat in the liquor store. Did you notice how all the fighting took place on the mats? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's black mats on the floor that are supposed to be like, you know, for, for you know, like some liquor stores have, but mm-hmm. it's only where all the guys fell. <laughs> I just watch it. I'm like, are those black mats on the floor? They don't cover the whole floor. They're just... Where every wherever you the fight scenes were, that's where they had a black mat. Wow, that's convenient at the store. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what about you, sir? Your uh, feelings with Hard to Kill? Well, I never really got too into Steve Seagal. I'll admit it. Um, and my brother was really into him. My older brother, he really liked Steven Seagal a lot. You know, he took martial arts and everything. And he was he was really into. He didn't take a keto, but he he. Would, he was really into him. He thought he was really awesome. I never really got into him. Um, and I will like precede this by saying that I have actually seen three Steve Seagal films in the last week because I screwed up at first and said, Mark, I just got done watching Out for Justice. Why did we watch that? That came out in 91. He's like, we're watching Hard to Kill. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> that was an extra 90 minutes of ponytail and squinting. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, I go back to watch Hard to Kill, and now I haven't. Now I, I actually would actually like to see a lot of his movies over again. To be honest with you, uh, I because I didn't hate this movie entirely. I really didn't. Uh, I didn't think it was that great either. I thought it was a very, very, very standard early '90s action film. Very standard. I think you could have put. Uh, I think you could have put a lot of people in this part. And you would have just changed the fighting style, and that would have been it. You know, you could have put Jeff Wincott in there; he would have been fine. The, the movie, the, the next movie I watched after this happened to be Street Night with Jeff Wincott, so I was actually thinking of him. Uh, I think it was Jeff Wincott. I don't know. Jeff Speakman. Yeah, neither here nor there. Jeff Speakman. Thank you, Jeff Speakman. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah, I, I know because we had like two theatrical movies, and that was one of them. Yeah, and I screwed. I knew I screwed that up. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah, Jeff Speakman. You know, so well. Yeah, so it could be any of those guys in the, in this movie and stuff. But, and I was watching this movie, and now I haven't like I so I haven't seen any of his movies in a long time. I haven't seen Above the Law in a very long time. I remember Above the Law being an anomaly in the action movie films. We had tons of action movies in the '80s and early '90s, and we had lots of action stars. We don't really have them anymore. We don't at all. Um, every now and then, like a straight-to-video thing comes out, but it's even those are usually with older heroes and stuff like that. You know, uh, Jason Statham tried to kickstart it, but he was basically kind of supporting the entire industry all by himself. Like, so that's why he was in like four or five movies a year. 
<laughs> you know, and it's like, anybody want to give me a break? Maybe take this next movie? No, shit. <laughs> you know, so we don't really have any more. I wish we did. Now, I haven't seen Above the Law in a long time, but I remember Above the Law being an anomaly because it was more sophisticated. It had more of a story. It, then, it still holds up, brother. You should watch it. I, I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to. You know, I know Andrew Davis directed it and stuff, yeah. and he's a he's a solid director. Um, and uh, you know, so I rem- and so when Hard to Kill came out, I remember it even back then. What and I watched it, I thought this is a lot cheesier. This is a lot more oh, of like a standard. Uh-huh action movie than Above the Law. This is a basic, uh, by the numbers, you could put him in there. Uh, I think it was Gabe, Gabe, I think you mentioned that there's not a lot of action in the first hour of the movie. And I think that's the whole reason you have that liquor store scene, because let's face it, is that scene ever referenced ever again? No, it had, <laughs> it had no purpose being there. It wouldn't surprise me to find out that they shot it after the fact, after all the filming was wrapped up to say, you know, he doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that'll, that'll you know. Can we have him do something before the coma? <laughs> you know? Well, not only that, but in that scene too, it's like they're celebrating the fact he took out the essays and all that. But the the the, the store owner got shot. The store owner gets like Nobody blown cares. away. Yeah, no one cares. <laughs> no, but but our our guy Storm took a bottle of champagne and monkeys out of the store because hey, the guy's dead. So screw yeah, it. It's like, yeah, it's like, I mean, I mean, did you, you did you even pay for that champagne yet, or did you just like, well, you know, I don't know who to leave the bill with. <laughs> I had. Five bottles of this. Yes, I did. <laughs> that's, how much, that's how much I paid for. What are you going to deny me? This, uh, you know, and it's it's a really standard thing. Uh, Kelly LeBrock absolutely got uh, a lot of the romance in there. I actually don't know if they actually had. I mean, I know they had a love scene. The way they framed it, I don't know if they actually had sex though, because it almost made it look like he was imagining it afterwards. <sighs> If you look at it, no, if you look at it, he's like, it's back to him just sitting by himself and looking at his wedding ring. And you you could either read it that he's, like, feel, feeling a little guilty for because of that, because he did do it, or be, you could le- read it that, is he ready to move on with his life because of this? You know, you could read it two ways, so I think, I think that they brought that in there. The thing I want to really mention, though, is the villain. William Sadler. Now, these action movies... The thing is is that when they would make these bad guys in these movies, they started out having re- your regular average bad guys, like a bad dr- drug dealer, a bad, uh, a, a bad gangster. Eventually, they just started making like these people just impossibly evil. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have this guy who is a state sen- – he, he eventually becomes a state senator, but he had the other senator murdered along with everybody else on his plane through his mob ties, and he laughs and, like, just, like, just – and is just, like, this evil, like, twisting thing. And he's, like – you were mentioning the anti uh, – I don't think he's necessarily an anti-patriotic person, but he certainly doesn't, like, wear that, like, on his sleeve, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I did notice that, like, God, they actually – you know what? They actually – they make they'll go out of the way to make this politician look like a real dickhead, hmm. and honestly, you know, you you combine and I noticed that they I I think they were actually taking a couple shots at uh, Bush Senior, 
who was oh, in yeah. office at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, not not Bush Jr. Bush Jr. was uh, all, still like doing lines of coke off sorority girls, <laughs> but um, and when this movie came out, but um, Bush well, yeah, because Sr. You, you you had the news the news clip in there where they're talking about how he's being a what a you know a, a every bad type of guy where he's and he well, and he's throwing out well he's and it's all the news bites that people used to make fun of him for the the throwing out the pitch and the kissing the pig thing. At that time, that was what we had to make fun of him for because Dan and Carvey hadn't really landed yet. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they got that. And I, if you notice, the guy who is the actual senator, he actually has in one of his ad- campaign ads that he they listen to, you hear, no new taxes. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I mean, it, it's like it would be like having as your villain, like if the movie was a couple years later, having Bill Clinton shoot a woman in the chest and say, I felt her pain. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, or today, Donald Trump cut, cutting someone's head off. You're fired. You know? <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> I mean, it was really kind of overt. Crap, and I want to see that now. Yeah, uh, I know. Well, you know, just, just wait. It's going to happen. I'm sure they'll put it in Sharknado 4. Yeah. Um, the, um, <laughs> but, but the, um, you know, honestly, so that, and also the villain also leads to the biggest problem of the movie, because how do they know who he is, uh, without looking at the video, his, his catchphrase. Yeah. He uses his catchphrase. <laughs> That's he, what I love about <laughs> this film is like our crack super cop took him a half hour and a, or in movie time, like a day or two or eight after his montage of, of getting happy of, oh, yeah, that's him. I recognize the catchphrase now. I'm like, wait, dude, <laughs> it's like it took you this long to realize, you know, the show me the money line or, yes. uh, or you take that to the bank. Excuse me. That's the link? Oh, my God. I'm like, it took you that long? This is a guy who uses his campaign slogan in average day-to-day conversation years before it becomes a campaign slogan, and he continues to use it in all of his ads. And not only does it take him a while, if you remember, his old partner says, man, I must have listened to that tape a million times. (laughs) I can't figure it out. I'm like, eight years? You're supposed to be super cop? You can't figure out that the one guy who is saying that. I mean, come on. If Steve Urkel planned a hit, you couldn't see his voice, you couldn't see his face, but then you hear, did I do that? You'd know it was Steve Urkel. <laughs> you can't figure I mean, it's one of those great, like, it, you know, and honestly, I don't hate the movie for it. I mean, I actually love it when this kind of thing happens, because it's like one of those moments where you're like, it's the dumbest freaking thing ever. Oh, it's like I should have buckled up for that one. I should have expected it. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, oh, my God. So he was like this impossibly evil person and everything like that, and then it's up to Steven Seagal to get him in. You mentioned the Aikido stuff. I don't do Aikido. I don't know about Aikido. I'm sure it is very formidable, and I'm sure he can probably kick my ass with it. I'm Downright positive, in fact. I'm a pudgy, pudgy, out-of-shape man with no strength or skills whatsoever. However, in these movies, a lot of the time the Aikido comes across as the sacred art of breaking people's arms and knocking people into stuff. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, that's basically all it is. Like every time, because it, it's basically somebody else makes the attack. It, I think Don, you mentioned that it was using other people's momentum against them, so that makes Correct. sense. Uh, so they come up there, twist, knock him, and it's always like something that they break. You know, they knock him into a to a duvet or a or a or a table or out a window, <laughs> like you know, like yeah. maybe we'll, like ever does anybody just say, you know what, maybe we should just shoot him. <laughs> well, they do. They Wait, do run out of bullets in this his movie. His shirt though. is open all the time. I mean, it's a con. It's, it's a target. I mean, he might as well like put like a little bullseye on his nipples because they're always showing in these movies. <laughs> wow, the picture you are painting of Steven Seagal tonight. <laughs> hey, well, you know, you know what? You add that to your Seagal voice, man, and that's gonna somebody. That's gonna give somebody a spike. <laughs> but well, this was at the, the the same year that this came out. Uh, William Sadler was also playing another bad guy uh, in a lot better action film in Die Hard Two. So mm. it was like the year of William Sadler being bad guys. And uh, he, again, that was another impossibly evil person. He like yeah. kills like 250 people on a plane in that movie. Yeah, you're. you're but you're right because. Because our heroes seem to be a little more invincible, they felt the need to up the ante on our villains. You know, uh, we, we've come a, a, a number. It's only been a few years, but we've come a, a while from our Hans Gruber to where he has a lot of minions carry out his his dirty work for him. And in here, you do have that where his minions carry it out. But I I love everyone's impression on this film. Uh, I I would just want to say. Though with an action film, you kind of want to feel at least a little bit of peril for your hero, even though he got shot, even when he's getting shot in his home. At no time did I feel <laughs> that his character was really threatened. And it no. sounds bad, but I don't know if it was Seagal's acting. Am I off on this? Or do at no time do you worry at all about his character? I mean, no, I worried about all the people around him. I knew that they were walking targets. Yeah. You know, every single person that ever befriended this person, yeah, is just like walking with a big target on them. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say, Cole, that that at no time do you really feel like there's a vulnerability to our hero, even when he gets shot in in his bedroom, and somehow the newspaper clipping got a shot well, of the crime yeah, scene no, before I, I it was broken agree. out. I agree, but that that I think that's. I mean, of all the flaws of the film, I mean, that's not a significant flaw to me personally because mm -hmm. that's the way these things were done. Sure. You know, to me, I mean, it, and I just, I mean, this was, I've seen them all at least twice. I've seen every Don the Dragon Wilson movie, every Van Damme mm -hmm. movie. I mean, I've seen them all, every movie from this era multiple times. Uh, so that didn't, I mean, I think Scott hit the nail on the head, which is the opening scene where they uh, butcher his family is extremely brutal. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, you know, the overemphasis on evil, especially in politicians, I think, again, is, I think that's Seagal. I think that that is very much Seagal. I think all of his villains, I mean, they may be cartoonish, but I think if you look at the villains in Seagal movies and then look at the villains in Van Damme movies, I think you're going to see a very distinct difference in terms of... Uh, one is a little bit more tangible, you know, sure. and I think William Sadler's character, 
I don't know. I watched Die Hard 2 again recently, and that movie does not... I mean, it opens with him in a nude scene. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I did a nude kata on that thing. Uh, Die Hard 2 hasn't aged so well for me, and I, but I love that series. But I digress. Uh, you're right. There was never any... I mean, that's just kind of Seagal. I mean, his thing. You know, I don't think that's a flaw. The flaw is in... The, the action sequences aren't well done. I mean, I can't wait to talk about the next film because it's the polar opposite. But at no point, I mean, did I feel like anybody was getting hit or shot or hurt. It was all very phony. Like I said, it was very Beverly Hills Cop 3. I mean, John Landis could have directed this for all of the... <laughs> yeah, Bruce, I think Bruce Malmuth directed it, and I was watching this and thinking, yeah, like it is, like, does it felt like anything that was standard from, like, canon or something. And uh, I looked, was looking at it and thinking... Wow, but Bruce Malmuth did Nighthawks, and that was a great movie. Well, I'm sorry to badmouth another director. Oh, no, oh, no. and then I remembered that Bruce Malmuth also did the Steve Gutenberg version of Man Who Wasn't There, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, the the fight scenes in this, though, I mean, in some action scenes, heroes, you still feel like they got hurt. Am I off game that even when he gets hurt, you don't feel like he's actually feeling pain? <laughs> Not at all. I mean, you're 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 on point with that. I mean, he gets shot. He just he just kind of gets thrown back, but he's like, what what happened? What happened? <laughs> um, you know, he's got these bullets all around him, and oh, it's it's almost like it's almost like these bullets can't touch me. But I'll duck down just so that I don't freak out Kelly LeBlanc. You know, oh. <laughs> I'll be okay. Um, well, yeah, you, know, I mean, you, I, you know why the bullets don't touch him is because anyone who shoots a machine gun in this movie has so, to move the cannon, the gun back and forth. <laughs> I know, I know. You, that, that was always the thing that that cracked me up is that nobody knows how to shoot a machine gun in the eighties or nineties. <laughs> you don't, you don't wave a machine gun back and forth like that. I mean, you know what? There's the the reason why a weapon has what you call a stock is to brace it over your shoulder, and you know it has these little things on on the gun called sights. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you look down those sights and you line up where the bullet might go. But no, people are just you know ah you know they're like they're like, they're like animal from the market shooting a, a, a gun. <laughs> Um, woman, woman. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I never felt like, uh, you know, I'm and, and thinking about, because I just watched uh, Marked for Death, which is what we're going to talk about, and I'm thinking back on, um, you know, this movie. <sighs> there's no sense of peril, there's no sense of urgency, it's just him. He's got his 45, he's got his Aikido moves, he's fine, he's 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 a god-like figure in this uh, in this movie. He's hard to kill, so he, he is hard to kill. <laughs> That's a good. That would make a good name for the movie. Oh. <laughs> they probably came up with that title. As soon as they were done shooting, they were, they went back. They looked at the dailies, and they're thinking. Jesus Christ, this guy can't act worth a shit. He can't even put any effort into the danger that's around him. What the hell? You know, just call it hard to kill. 
Also, I mean, just look at the titles. Die Hard, Hard to Kill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they're definitely playing off of the Die Hard uh, it was, origi- it was originally, oh, yeah. uh, according to IMDb, it was originally called Seven Year Storm. It was playing on his name, Mason, Mason Storm. Storm. Which is, again, his As soon as his name came out, I, I watched the trailer first, uh, and the trailer comes out, Steven Seagal is Mason Storm. I was like, ha, 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 ha. I was just silent. And you know, we used to hear this all the time, you know, Schwarzenegger is Jack Kruger, you know, and it's great. It's like it's like that wonderful Mystery Science Theater episode, uh, Space Mutiny, where Rev Brown's running around, and they're always making up names for him, like Roll, Fizzle Beef, Big yeah. McLarge Huge. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don, what about you? Did you feel at all like he either was in pain or was even cared about the situation he was in? I mean, okay. I think... Okay, so one of the big things that really had, had, that I had a problem with, I mean, among all the little things, was the man was in a coma for seven years, but he was perfectly tan perfectly buff and able to move things around. He didn't even have the whole Beatrix kiddo uh, move, wiggle the big toe kind of moment. He just, you know, kind of did it. There, there was no, there was no brain power doing that. He just kind of did it. And then he was able to build his whole training area and do the running and, so he's seven years in a coma. He should be massively atrophied. <laughs> no, yo, know, he he just he just crawls around on the floor a bit, and and you know he he uses it's because of the acupuncture and the herbs, <laughs> and he can write acupuncture and incense. You betcha. He he can write in Chinese. Here for comas. That's you, right. You notice write. how you notice how you know he he's. He just got out of a coma. Any slight movement, he should be in constant pain. He should be going, ah, but no, he's just like, uh, uh, well, uh. yep. For one thing, that's his act. That's that's the height of his acting ability. I mean, he he, he he Steve Seagal will do a lot of things for you, but he will not stop squinting. And he also, <laughs> and also, you know, it's like you know, they do that basically, and it's the same thing with the machine guns. You know, it's. It's like they they don't they don't have him going uh uh because uh, it's just not it doesn't make for a very good action movie if, when time is a factor, uh and just like the uh, machine guns I don't know anything about machine guns um but I do know that Rambo made it which is like one of the greatest damn action movies ever made it really cool for him to just like constantly have that thing going and never running out of all so. <laughs> we, you know, when and I, even I, who is somebody who doesn't even like guns, knows that no, a machine gun is like short, controlled bursts. That's mm-hmm. what you do, like. <laughs> that's how you're supposed to do them. But no, all these movies are just like <laughs> with the spray that Gabe mentioned, also. So. Well, that's that's how they can you know sell that he doesn't get hit by the bullets. Uh, you, you know the action sequences in here are, are kind of humorous, but but fun though you don't feel any peril for for our hero. Uh, one of the things, and Don, I want to talk to you on this one or start with you. Let's talk for a moment of the character Andy Stewart, played by Kelly LeBrock. 
I, 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 I feel bad. I feel bad for saying this, but the way they wrote her character, she was, she served no purpose whatsoever. She served no purpose whatsoever. From the introduction of the character, hi JD, you want a little pussy? <laughs> I mean. That's the epitome of what her character was, and it was pathetic. I mean, okay, through the years of all the accusations about Steven Seagal being a misogynist and paying off the sexual harassment charges and blah, 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 it's it's writing the female characters like that that really encouraged that stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, of course, you know, and the whole putting that in there was, I mean, you were mentioning that the, all the things to get the uh, women to watch it. There, let's face it, there's a lot to get the teenage boys watching it. I know that there's like, oh, yeah. I knew a lot of 14-year-old boys when, when that happens. Like, did you see that person? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he, grabbed, yeah. he grabbed her I butt. Saw it. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was Kelly LeBrock, all of us who got a crush on her from, uh, from Weird, Weird, Weird Science. Weird Science. And, women and, 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 and none of us watched yes. Women in Red until we yes. found out she was full frontal in the movie. And then we were yeah. like, Wait, really? And then we all watched a Gene Wilder movie. Um, you know, teenage boys, we are not. You know, teenage boys. Let's face it. If you want to find oh, middle age boys, what are you? If talking you want about? to see the find the weakest link of human civilization, go to teenage boys. <laughs> you know? We're not. We're not in a very good spot then. So no, but her character really. I mean. Are we off on this, Cole, that her character really served not a lot of purpose? I mean, she's randomly crying. We get a scene where he's gone for like 12 hours. He's not even gone for a full day. And she's going to her friends, and she looks like she's holding back tears. Like they want to play an angle of, oh, he left me. But they, it was like half a day that he was gone. And it was just she, – all she stood there was screaming and uh, – did she really not need to be there? <laughs> no, no, of course not. I mean, the character is horrible. I mean, it, it's completely <laughs> horrible on, on every level. You know, and I want to follow up on what, what Dawn said, you know, which is, you know, I, I followed Seagal's career uh, not closely. And I, don't, I certainly don't know the man personally. I know people who have met him. Um, you know, it, it is interesting to me that a lot of the negative press about him came out almost – simultaneously with On Deadly Ground as he was doing his promotion for that film and for the first time really publicly being very outright and vocal about his uh, political views. Uh, all of a sudden, there's an awful lot of negative press, man, very quickly. Uh, but aside from that, this is a misogynist film. You know, it really is. He, it's a disappointment after Above the Law, and it doesn't compare to just about anything he did after. I mean, he had Pam Greer in Above the Law, which yeah. did the film a great service of having a, a guy and a girl friends, which not many action movies do, not many movies do. I can think of one Beverly right off the bat, and it works. They should do it more often, because whenever they do it, it's freaking awesome. Uh, but, you know, a lot of Seagal's leading ladies are very strong. I even like the wife in Out for Justice, actually. I, you know, uh, I think this film is an anomaly among Seagal's theatrical releases in that it 
it sucks pretty bad, you know. <laughs> it, it it and well, to be fair, now this is his second feature. It, this was his second feature, so yeah, it, you know, so we do have to give it there. And it, it's not all bad, but there are just so many things, and it it really comes down to the script and the way it was directed. I mean, let's face it. There's one scene in here, and I put it in my notes near the end where a knife guy comes up to him and hits the side of the blade on Seagal's arm like, hey, I'm here. You're supposed to turn around and hit me now. (laughs) He doesn't cut him. He doesn't stab him. And if you look at Kelly LeBrock, she does kind of the, you brute, you brute, you brute, you vicious brute type of hitting on the guy. And Seagal turns around like, oh, I'm going to fight you too. I missed that in choreography class. You, you know, uh, it, it. I felt bad because, you know, he, he. You can tell they're trying. They're trying to come up with this, you know, a big action film, and they do have a couple big action f- scenes in here, and they're playing the political angle because, you know, here we have a crooked senator, which you know, was kind of popular around that time, as everyone has said here. But the script, there's just so many issues with this. You know, like, like. He just drives up to a couple of essays and says, hey, you want my Jeep for your car? And <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I think I think those guys got the raw end of that deal, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, they, those guys, I'm, I would be surprised if they survived, uh, honestly. <laughs> the weird thing is that, I mean, the, the actual handing them the, the Jeep was not that... Um, like if these guys were really down in, on their luck and stuff, that actually was not out of the realm of possibility because yeah, that's happened a lot of times. I mean, you can hear about things like, you know, your car is – you're driving a stolen car. Like, oh, yeah, I figured. Some guy just gave it to me <laughs> a couple towns over, you know. But, I mean, th- but the fact that it's not just that they're giving them this, this, this car – that was the weird part of it, is that they were giving him the car knowing that other people would be chasing him and trying to kill the people in that car. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, look, there's bullet, <laughs> there's bullet holes in this Jeep. And I'm like, yeah, they, you're I'm like, man, this car is jacked up. Like, like, yeah, don't get in it. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's trying, and it's Seagal's second film, and you, you can tell they put thought in some of the choreographies because some of the action scenes, especially when he gets to the senator's house, you know, I I did enjoy that. You know how he comes up and goes, "Oh, well, it, you're saying it's not fair because I have my gun, so I'll just put my gun down," and then he beats everybody up. And you know that is that is badass part. And the 14 year old boy, as as uh, you mentioned, yeah, I, I really kind of enjoyed that, but. There are so many gaping problems with the script. I mean, this is the dumbest cops in the world. You know, it, we get an AT montage for his uh, training, which he suddenly can break huge boards in that in the span of, you know, a, a couple of days because he's got his herbs and his acupuncture. And, you know, further with the Kelly LeBrock character. They have this thing where – did I miss something? These people are, like, wanted, and they're roaming the streets like, la-da-da, like I'm going into a hotel now and nobody notices me. Did you guys notice that, that they were, like, playing but not playing at the fact she gets framed for her her for girlfriend's murder and he's plastered as the crooked cop, yet – no one seems to call him out when they see him. Well, I mean, like, you know, even at the end, I mean, 
the first of all, when at the very end of the movie, spoiler room, guys, that's the name of the show, uh, is um, you know when they 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 arrest the guy, which I thought was a nice touch to have him arrested and not killed. I think that is an alternate ending. I don't think it was planned like that. And they're like, oh no, you're good. We saw the tape. You're you know what? You're good. You're good. And like, and I wa- almost wanted him to like to start leaving and said, "Oh wait, wait, no, no, sorry, forgot the dozen people you murdered in this house." <laughs> yeah, but they came after my family. Still, it's against the law to come to someone's house and murder people. <laughs> Two wrongs, Steve. Two wrongs. They don't make a right. <laughs> Yeah, I you know it's just one of those things where it, this film has a number of issues. And final thought is, folks, uh, when you want to deliver a flower to your loved one and you're trying to play it off nonchalantly, you shouldn't dress up in your heels and your doomy dress I, I and, know. and walk past and just go. Oh, I just wanted to give you a flower. I'm like, really? He's not. That's that. totally how you get laid. It's actually part of the reason why I thought maybe it was a fat dream. When I said earlier, maybe it was a dream sequence or a fantasy sequence because, you know, when as soon as the scene cuts out, he she's just alone, and that was just even for this movie. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was I, like I, seriously the only way it could have been better uh, sorry you can't see my sarcasm quotes here as if she would have been in a tutty yeah i know right oops i i brought a flower for you i like really the ha- the, the, i mean the, she already had one of those dresses on where like the top part of it is already like half ripped open you know it's like oh just like you just need to grab well, onto those and and let's, <laughs> let, let's not forget the big hair either that she had. She must have took hours to tease up while he was sniffing his herbs. Now don't uh, mock the 80s hair. Oh, I love the 80s hair. I just got a kick out of it that she comes by and tries to play off like, oh, I was just passing by and you know, and I'm thinking it's going to be a scene where she's saying, well, I was just going to go out with some girlfriends, but I wanted mm-hmm. to bring you a flower. No, she comes in, I want to bring you a flower and she's dressed to the nines like they're going to go out to some fancy dinner or, or you know, a nightclub, I should say, and, and she's got that look, and he's just like, oh, flower, I like that. Can I grab your butt now? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he liked to grab butts. And, but, and yeah, there's many watch. things. I mean, from that to the plot holes to the, the way they wrote the cops to the whole angle of, oh, his kid's not dead type of thing. To to a newspaper clipping that has a full picture of the crime scene with the two bodies still in bed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught that, but the newspaper clipping when he looked at it, there's mm. one of the newspaper clippings where it's the final shot that we saw of those two right after they both got killed and he finally dies. I, I'm like, wow, that's a good news photographer right right there, you know, <laughs> but. So yeah, that, uh, that's the post. Yeah. <laughs> that the post. It is his second one, and while the action scenes were interesting and, and they were trying something new, this film, I think, just had a lot of issues. Uh, this concludes part one of our 25th anniversary special, the Steven Seagal films of 1990. Tune in for part 
2, where we talk about Marked for Death. Also, make sure you check out our other episodes on iTunes and SpecialMarkProductions.com.